just open our hands as we prepare to receive the word this morning. Lord Jesus, we just uh, open our hands as we open our hearts to you, Lord. Lord, we've just sung, they'll know we are Christians by our love. I pray that you will teach us today true community. Lord, I pray that you would that you would reveal to us your heart for community today. We just pray, God, that you would, Lord, out of the fullness of your spirit, out of the fullness of your presence, Lord God, that, Lord, you would come and minister to our hearts now as we have opened ourselves in worship, as we have received testimony today. Now we receive your word with gladness and joy. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning again. Let me add my good mornings to all the others that you've already heard today. Uh, my name is Pastor Jim Olson, and I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship St. Paul and the senior pastor of our All Nations Family of Churches, so grateful for the joyous opportunity to do that. We are in the midst of a study. In fact, we're coming close to the end of our study on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so we are continuing our study on the Sermon on the Mount, and um, as we kind of come towards the close, I want to take a moment to reorient us one last time about some issues related to this sermon. First of all, or just some context for the sermon, not issues, but just context. This is a brilliantly crafted message which invites us to be discipled into the blessed and good life of his kingdom. As king, Jesus fulfills the law and reigns through his rule in our hearts, transforming us from the inside out. We live out this blessed and good life, not by slavishly following the rules and regulations of the law, but rather by freely and fully submitting and surrendering to the living law, Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to remind us of. This, this, this message moves us from rules and regulations to principles that concern our motive and our attitude. Again, this inside-outness, Jesus really goes after our heart in a deep way. And this morning is going to be no exception. In fact, perhaps of all of the message, this may be one of the messages that most deeply digs into our own soul. I know it has been digging deep into my own soul as I have prepared it for us this morning. It also helps to orient us from a righteous destination, which was something that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the rulers of the law, they actually thought that they could live out a perfectly righteous life. And so, so, so it was something they could actually achieve themselves, but, but this really moves us towards a journey to a righteous destiny. It moves us from a destination to a destiny, from, from an, uh, you know, an end of a journey to an ongoing journey that will be lifelong in our lives of moving towards that righteousness in Him. It, and, and in that, it helps us move from a sin management perspective to discovering and following God's will. Sometimes we think of holiness and righteousness as simply managing, tamping down, and somehow, you know, getting, uh, getting our sin managed. But in fact, he, it, it's much more positive than that. It's not simply about the, the negative of you shall not. It's about you shall and, and following and, and pursuing God's will. And in fact, when we pursue his will, when we are faithfully following and pursuing his heart and his, uh, and, and his plans and his purposes, sin will slough off from our lives because there's really no room for it anymore, all right? And then finally, 
from individual self-interest to community other interests. This is going to become very clear in the message today. This has been sort of a fresh revelation to me, even as we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. I, I had this aha moment where I realized, well, I, I've often looked at the Sermon on the Mount as something that has this sort of individualistic flair to it. It's about, you know, what, what God wants me to do and how he wants me to act and what he wants to do with my heart. And it is those things, but it's much broader than that in that the purpose of his messing with my heart is for the purpose of helping me to live better in community uh, from my family to my workplace to if I'm in school to my church life to my neighborhood life that God really wants to move us from self-interest to community other interests, which leads us into our message this morning, which is on true community, true community. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one located right in front of you. And turn to the first book of the New Testament, which will be about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we're actually going to take a passage of Scripture that is often preached in sort of separate segments as if they were somehow disconnected from one another. But I'm going to offer to you a fresh way, I trust, a fresh way of looking at this particular passage of Scripture and seeing it actually as a unified whole, not as individual bits and parts. And the reason comes in verse 12, which you know is the bracket, the end of this passage, and that's why we're going to be looking at all of it from 7-1 through 12 together is because of 12. And we'll get there here in a moment. Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Well, don't give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So here we have the golden rule, verse 12, in everything, do to others what you would have them to do, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And the word that it begins with, literally in the Greek, is therefore. So the therefore is always there for a reason. So therefore, all of this that precedes this is to bring us to that golden rule. And sometimes we just see this passage sort of in disconnected parts, but I want to submit to you today that these are integrally connected with one another, and as we unpack it now, I think we're going to discover some fresh ways of understanding how we are called to live in true community with one another. Because this is an invitation for us to reorient our lives away from being self-righteous, judgmental, manipulative, and closed-fisted, 
to being self-reflective, respectful, motivational, and open-handed. Note those words. They're going to come up again. So if you're taking notes, don't, don't get, I have a heart attack. I'm going to go on to the next slide. But you're going to see those words come up again and also at the end. All right? Moving away from being self-righteous, moving towards being self-reflective. Reflective. All right. So let's first of all talk about the journey that we take from judgment to respect. Now, this scripture um, here in Matthew 7, 1 to 5, is a scripture that is known almost by everyone, at least the first part of it. I mean, it will be quoted at you ad nauseum, and it is sometimes used as a club over the church. Well, don't judge. Don't judge. You can't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. Now, what I want to submit to you, and and, and Andrew is going to uh, unfold this in much greater detail next week when he talks about this issue of discernment, because because the Bible, in fact, does tell us there's there's different words for judge, okay? And Jesus is talking about an attitudinal thing of judgmentalism, which is different than the invitation, in fact, the obligation that we have as believers to properly discern right and wrong. And the fact is we live in a culture now where we're, you know, where, where if you don't affirm who I am and what I do and, and whatever that is, I mean, what, whatever it is, if you don't, then you are judging me. And the fact of the matter is we do need to have discernment. And yes, we can pull apart. In fact, you know, in, in our culture today, you can't say love the sinner and hate the sin. But the fact of the matter is biblically that is a mandate for us. To love the sinner, but to hate sin. However, so, so having said that, as a, I need to come back, though, now to our hearts. Because this issue of judgment is something that is almost birthed into us or it's given to us in our mother's milk. I mean, we live in a society, we live in the reality of, of a mindset that is incredibly judgmental. Not just folks out there, but our own hearts. In fact, someone did a, a, a study, and I've shared this before, but years and years ago, somebody did a survey, and they discovered this when they did their survey. 90% of our thoughts are negative and critical towards other people and towards ourselves. 90% of our thoughts are negative and critical. Now, you know, there's give or take. Not everybody's percentage is the exact same. But, but who in the scripture, who, who does the Bible say is the accuser? Satan. He's the one who's accusing. He's the one who's relentlessly negative and critical about us. You know, you've heard his voice whispering in your mind. And if 90% of the time we're thinking like that, 90% of the time we're agreeing with the enemy. That's a problem. That's a big problem. So there's an invitation here that Jesus is making to call us from this place of judgment where we're looking at the speck in our brother's eyes and completely missing the plank in ours. And he rightly calls that hypocritical behavior. So let's unpack that quickly here. First of all, I'm going to just ask us some questions. These are questions that the Lord asked me this week. 
that I'm going to now ask you. As I was preparing, it just felt like, I mean, I just, th these, were the, these were the questions that emerged out of my preparation and dialogue with the Lord. Am I primarily seeking to justify myself by neglecting, projecting, or protecting my own sinful brokenness? Okay, we can just stop right there. <laughs> I'm already laid out. Because if I'm honest with myself, I can be just like James 1 here, look in the mirror, walk away, and forget what I see. And he says, we do that with the word of God. We look in the mirror, we, we see what it says, and then we walk away and we completely neglect. We, we just, we don't want to look at it. We just, we just ignore it. Or we project. We go, ooh, you know, I mean, how many of times? I really wish so-and-so had been there to hear that message. They really needed to hear it. Or maybe, you know, your spouse or the person next to you is getting a little bruise in their ribs as you're going, mm, listening? Mm. Or protecting. Well, my, you know, you don't understand. You don't understand what I've come out of. You don't understand the dynamics. You don't understand all the realities, and really. And so, so we build this protective mechanism around our own sinful brokenness. I think Jesus says, don't do that. I'm inviting you to stop that, to stop justifying yourself. Stop justifying your anger. Stop justifying your control. Stop justifying your lust. Stop justifying whatever those things. Because we've already dealt with a lot of those things Earlier, Jesus dealt with all of those things and more in the earlier messages that we looked at. And that's why this is leading towards this. All right, he's coming up to this now. Secondly, here's a, here's a, a question then. The, the next question is, am I condemning or restoring when I am correcting? So many times, and this is the Galatians passage, be very careful, Jesus says, Paul says there, instructing us, be very careful when you're restoring, when you, are, when you are restoring a person's life, you're dealing with a fragile, a vulnerable, a, 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 a human being that has incredible value, how is it that you are going about your correction? And every parent in the room just crawled under the seat because... Right? Is to separate out and, and that condemning. We must correct. But how are we correcting? Are we condemning? So it's so easy to slide from what you are doing is wrong to you're wrong. To what you're doing is bad to you're bad. Let's be real. So am I condemning or am I restoring? What is the motivation in my heart? Which brings to my third question here is, am I willing to respectare? Which is the actual Latin root of 
respect, which means to look again. Am I willing to look again at my own life and other people's lives from a new perspective? Jesus says, in, in Paul again, sorry, in 2 Corinthians saying, you are a new creation. We no longer look at one another through worldly eyes, even though we once even viewed Christ that way. No, we no longer do that because now we recognize that you are a new creation in Christ. So are we beginning, are we willing? Romans 8, 1, Therefore there is no longer any condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. You've heard this before, but take it deep into your spirit today. The enemy condemns. The Spirit of God convicts. And they are very different things. And so even in our correction of ourselves and one another, let us do it with an attitude of respect. Recognizing the value and the beauty of our own lives and the lives of those around us. It's so interesting how the Lord will walk us through things. He walks me through. The sword goes through my own heart before it, you know, whatever. So, so I'm going to give you a personal confession this morning. And, and I don't typically do something like this, but it feels like it's important to say. So last night, it just, it was a really, it's been, you know, it's been one of those, it's been a really long month this week, okay? And it was a really... It was a really long week yesterday, all right? And I got home and I went upstairs and we have this closet, our, our cedar closet where we, you know, keep a lot of stuff. And I, and I opened the door because I was going to be, uh, I was putting some, a suit back from, from the wedding and I was going to hang it up and the whole thing was just collapsed on the floor and everything, all, of, you know, it's just, it was just a, this huge mess. Okay, well... Um, I didn't respond in the most sanctified manner, all right? I was just like, really? And it was one of those things where my frustration spilled out onto my family. And they ended up taking sort of the brunt of my frustration through no fault of theirs. And I had all the reasons why I could be cranky and frustrated and angry, but honestly, the issue is about me. So to Noah and Claire, who caught some of that, and to my wife, who's back in the nursery, my deepest apologies. And I stand before you just to simply say, I need to repent. Do you see how it works, though, in our own, you know? I needed to pause and look again. I needed to do what I was, you know, so here I am preaching this morning, and you're like, well, yeah, he's got it all together. I don't have it all together. Really, I don't. Okay, I'm a human being like you are. I put my pants on in the morning, one leg at a time. Okay? I don't... I don't talk about my kids when I preach, okay? I understand this. This is about me. 
isn't about them. This is about me. They did nothing. It was me. So before we're looking, you know, the speck, I was looking for specks in them and totally missing the log in my own eye. Whew, how y'all doing? All right. Maybe we should go back to singing. We want more. This is what happens. That's right. That's right. Come on. This is what happens when we want more. We, I like the dancing part. Not so, not so great about the... Right? Now here's where it gets interesting, from manipulation to motivation. Here's a passage that we've all, again, we've all used to justify some stuff. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls and turn and attack you. In other words, ah, don't waste your time on those people because they're just dogs and pigs. Don't waste all your good stuff on them. They don't get it. They don't understand you. They don't want it. Bye, 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 bye. So just quit. Through my study this week, I saw this passage in a way I've never seen it before. So you can take this and discern it out yourself here. All right? You're mature or maturing. Work it out. Work it out in your dinners for fun. Talk about this in your mosaic group, in your small groups, whatever. Here's, here's the questions that come out of this. First of all, am I primarily driving people to change for my benefit, manipulation, or am I leading people to change for their benefit, motivation? So here's the question. Here, here's the thing. Can pigs eat pearls? Well, they can, but is it going to nourish them? That's the point. They can eat them, but they're not going to, they're going to still go away. So... So sometimes we're so interested in bringing our answers to people that we haven't actually stopped to listen to if they possibly actually are asking the question we're answering. So we're coming, we got our Bible and we got our, you know, we got all the things and we're just, you know, we're going to take our Schofield and we're going to beat him around the head with it, Okay. And they're not ready to receive it. And then they come back and they bite at us. And we, un- and we wonder, why are they biting us? Because we're trying to feed them what they're not able to be nourished by yet. Rather than finding out what they need to be nourished with. And we're often driving for our own benefit. It makes us feel good. But is it making them, not that they, you know, not that we can't say hard things, but is it helping them in their life? So, which brings to the second question, am I listening carefully first, then speaking the truth in love? Recognizing the truth without love is not truth, and love without truth is not love. James 1, James 1, 19 and 20. One nineteen and 20. 
My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Here's the issue. Here's part of the issue why the church is, has the reputation it does is because we've been quick to speak, slow to listen, and we've been fast to become angry. God, we repent. Forgive us, Lord, for not giving people the freedom that you have given to us and by opening our hands with invitation rather than shoving things with manipulation. Am I willing to share what is needed and helpful rather than what I want to share and what I think is expected? Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. And then in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I've shared this before, but I'll mention again, one definition of, of unwholesome talk is truth without love or love without truth. Back to point two. Speaking truth in love. It's really important to, and, and, and it's really hard. Isn't it hard to separate out manipulation and motivation when I'm wanting somebody to change, but really underneath it, it's for my benefit rather than theirs? That's the difference between manipulation and motivation. Motivation, I'm desiring for them to change for their benefit. This is really important again in parenting, okay? All of us as parents, you know, man, we, we want to we shape our kids so that they don't embarrass us. You ever been embarrassed by your kid? They've probably been embarrassed by you, too. <laughs> I know mine have. You're going out in that, Dad? <laughs> right? But honestly, whoo. Anybody else? I don't know. Anybody else getting conviction? All right, here we go. One more. From closed-fisted to open-handed. Now, this is really interesting because you and I have probably never thought of this next passage of Scripture in the context of community. This whole thing about ask and you'll receive. We, th we think, oh, that was just sort of, you know, Matthew just sort of stuck that in. He remembered Jesus saying that, and he just stuck it here. But it's right before therefore. So therefore, it's got to be somehow connected to this golden rule, and it's somehow connected to what's gone before it. So I want to look at this particular passage in the context of true community. First of all, in the context then, so this has to do with this asking and knocking and seeking. We know that it has a vertical element to it, and it does, for sure. I mean, obviously it does. And in the context in Luke where it's talking about it, right there with the Lord's Prayer. And we'll come back to that when we do the Lord's Prayer at Advent, okay? However, it also has some, some horizontal connection as well. Because I think the question becomes, am I demanding or requesting in my relationship with others and with God? There's a difference between persistence and presumption in prayer and in relationship with other people. So I think the invitation here in the context of community 
is maybe instead of coming again with imposing our answers on people, perhaps we need to learn to begin to ask questions and make requests of them and of God for change. See, James 4, 1 to 3, you know, we studied James, and you can go back to the website and get the whole series of things we did on James not all that long ago. What but one to three, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but don't have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You're coming at life closed-fisted, trying to manipulate, trying to, to make things happen rather than with open hands requesting of others and of God. In fact, here's a little discipline. Before you begin to try to shape the people around you through your own words and through your own demands, why don't you bring requests to God first and begin to ask him for change in their lives? Wow, that's a revelation. Many, many years ago, I was challenged with that in a very difficult family relationship. This was before I was married. And I was challenged to write, and I began, and I wrote down 10 things that I wanted to see happen in that relationship with that family member that I felt needed to be changed. And it wasn't about things that I wanted them to change. It was how I wanted our relationship to change. And I began to pray into those things. And you know what happened? I don't know that they changed, but I totally changed. And our relationship changed because of that. Am I asking God to change the hearts of others? That's what Jesus did with the, you know, the woman, the woman at the well. Jesus is brilliant. He asks tons of questions. <laughs> you ever, have you read the Gospels? Have you seen how, much, how often Jesus simply asks questions? And am I willing to trust God and others with outcomes? Ooh, ooh. Stop, Pastor. Don't go there. Don't go there. I can't help it. It's where God's got me going. With outcomes beyond my control. Ooh. That requires radical trust. That requires, oh, God, you, you actually are God. You're not just applying for the job. That you actually have control over outcomes even when I don't. Seeking first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. We looked at that two weeks ago. You remember? That brings us to the golden rule. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So do you want people to judge you? Do you want people to manipulate you? Do you want people to treat you with a closed fist? Probably not. But let me tell you, biblical reality, you're going to reap what you sow. If you sow judgment, it's going to be coming right back at you. 
You sow manipulation, it's going to be coming right back at you. You sow the closed fist, it's going to be coming right back at you. But the opposite is true as well. If you'll begin to treat with respect, if you'll begin to motivate, if you will open your hands, whoo! So here's my question to us today. Am I willing to move from being self-righteous, judgmental, manipulative, and close-fisted to being self-reflected, respectful, respectful, motivational, and open-handed. This is the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is, that's the golden rule. Other cultures had it in the negative. Don't do to other people what you don't want to do them to you. But Jesus turns it inside out. says, do to others what you want them to do to you. Come with the opposite spirit. Come with that spirit, my spirit. All right, you got what I got now. I can't get away from this. And I don't really want to. I mean, I do. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'd, I'd just as soon neglect it or project it or protect, right? Because I'm, I'm human just like you are. Honestly, I really am. You are, many of you know that. <laughs> no, really? Yeah. But this is where we need one another. This is where we confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. This is where we come alongside and where we love one another and we show and we, and we reveal to one another in, in positive ways and we begin to, to work together towards this true community. Anybody else up for that? I, I don't know. I think, I think this is what God's doing at Bethel Christian Fellowship right now. I think these are the things. I mean, we're not in this by coincidence. This, God's digging deep in us. 90 days of community. Well, this is what 90 days, this is what community looks like. All right, so we're going to sing an old hymn that I really like. This moment, I just feel like, ay, ay, ay. I know it's late and it's summer and the kids are with us. They're like, can we go? And in a moment you can. But it would be neglectful not to give an opportunity for all of us to respond. So I'm going to ask you to stand only because it will make it easier for the people next to you to, to move in and out if they need to. After we sing through this, I'll give a benediction. If you could just hang in there through this, there's just, I think, four verses or so. Have thine own way. And then the worship team can come up after that and continue in worship. But this altar is open, and if you want to join me here today and allow the Lord to just do whatever it is that He needs to do in your heart today, this altar is open. There's nothing magical about it, but sometimes it helps to move, to put into action, come and to kneel before him, come to humble yourself.
Come on, as we sing this. Let this be our prayer. Have thine own way, Lord. As they play that through one more time, let's just open our hands. And he's just saying right now, look at me. Just look at me. Let him speak to your heart. So, Lord, we come to you, the fellowship of the broken, the wounded, the weary, the needy. God, we can't hide from you. And we don't even want to. We just bear our heart before you today and say, come and change us, God. Transform us from the inside out, Lord. We can't possibly do this ourselves. We do not, we're not smart enough, strong enough, swift enough. We're, we're not in anything enough. We got no enough. We need you. Help us, please. Help us, God. We turn to you. We look at you now. And now with open hands, I pray that you would be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we meet again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and his goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your lives. Until we meet again, may the blessing of the Lord be upon you.